time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is a Friday edition of the podcast, and I have a very special guest for you guys today. We've had on this program pretty much all of the Carson family. My good friend Todd Carson has been on here multiple times, head football coach of Rio Hondo Prep. Uh, Mark Carson has been on here weekly during the football season, and I've had a nice uh, episode I did with Pastor Dave Carson Jr. That was a lot of fun talking about Care Youth League and expansion and everything. Uh, but today we're going to be joined by their father, Dave Carson Sr., someone who has been so influential in Care Youth League and has raised not only three amazing young men, but uh, two daughters as well in Christina Horton and, uh, and, and Melissa uh, what is Melissa's last name? Melissa Thomas. Excuse me. Sorry about that, man. Thought you were re- thought I was ready for the show. Anyway, Melissa Carson. Uh, now Melissa Thomas. Uh, Christina Ho- uh, Carson. Now Christina Horton. Anyway, I think I have all that straight now. But we're going to be joined today by Dave Carson, senior. An absolute um, honor to chat with this man. I can't wait to get into this. So let's jump into it right away. Uh, my long form conversation with uh, the head of the Carson family, Mr. Dave. Carson Sr. All right, it's a tremendous honor today to be joined by Dave Carson Sr. Uh, I've already talked about him being the head of the Carson family. Uh, Mr. Carson, welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast. Well, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Mr. Carson, I've talked to each of your your three sons, uh, uh, Dave just the one time, and then Mark and Todd obviously a couple times. Uh, still working on, on maybe uh, still working on it. Maybe your daughter's coming on, but uh, you know, are you uh, have you heard your your sons here on the podcast? I I don't think I heard Dave. I've heard Todd and Mark, uh, and I'm wondering what Mark had to say uh, Monday after the game. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's fun talking to Mark yeah. on uh, Mondays here during the football season. Because uh, he's very fired up. I know you're very proud of him for the great work he has done. Um, and I'm going to have you talk about each of your, your kids individually at some point. But, I mean, how cool is it to have one of your sons be the head coach of Rio Hondo Prep Football? It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> We're proud of him. And um, not just the position, but I, I love the way he handles his teams. Not that I'm a football uh, go or anything, but I've seen him after a loss go out there and hit guys on the shoulder and congratulate him and so forth. And <clears throat> I just think he does a great job, that kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure he's learned a thing or two from you over the years. And then, of course, his wonderful older brothers that have uh, – that's not to take anything away from Mark. He's, he's done an incredible job. Uh, with the program. Uh, now, now, Mr. Carson, outside of listening to uh, your sons a little bit here on the podcast, have you have you heard some uh, other episodes here uh, the past year or so? Yeah, I heard John Lee. I heard Pat Taylor. Um, who else might I have heard? 
I typically don't tune in unless I know the person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I understand that totally. I, I, I've had some people on that, that I, I find interesting that uh, I didn't realize when I started this that it would be so many Carrie Youth League and Rio Hondo stories, but a lot of people love listening to kind of the, the, the journey, really, of people starting in care and kind of where they ended up. Yeah, well, that's good. Well, happy to hear it. Um, we have a little background noise, but we're going we're gonna to fight through it today. That's what we do. Uh, nothing goes uh, perfect all the time. So, uh, Mr. Carson, let's talk about you and kind of where you grew up and how you discovered this uh, great place called Boys Christian League. Uh, I'm pleased to hear you call it Boys Christian League. Was it ever Boys Christian League while you were in it? No, sir. Okay, well, I just wondered about that. Um, <clears throat> I was born in, in uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. I grew up in Littleton, <clears throat> which is just uh, a few miles outside of Denver. Its claim to fame is it's the home of Columbine High School. Does that ring a bell? Yes, unfortunately. Yeah, that's uh, too bad. <clears throat> and uh, I had a great childhood. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, one little story that may be of some interest. I don't know why, but I tell this every time I get a chance. Um, there is a uh, stream of water called the Denver Ditch. That's what we call it because it was headed toward Denver as it passed us probably three or four feet deep and uh, uh, six or eight feet wide. And my friend and I used to go down there and just explore and so forth. And one day we saw um, looked like a dead animal laying by the side of the ditch. And our curiosity got the better of us. We went down to see what it was. And lo and behold, it was a dead skunk. And we thought, wouldn't it be fun to take this home and show our parents? <laughs> So, <clears throat> I think we tied a string or something around it. We didn't have to touch it, but uh, I drove that home and showed it to my mom and dad, and I was not, they were not pleased. <laughs> yeah. Get that thing out of here. I couldn't quite understand why they reacted so strongly, but they made me take it to the vacant lot next door and bury it. And that's my Littleton, Colorado story. <laughs> Most... We moved to California from Colorado when I was about uh, third or fourth grade. And uh, for those of you who might know, first I went to Columbia School in El Monte and then to Clemenson School uh, also in El Monte. And I guess that's in Temple City. But then they built a new school, Rio Hondo, right by my house, really just a block or two away, uh, Rio Hondo Elementary School. And... Uh, that's where I ended up going to school. And one day, <laughs> uh, a rumor started on the playground that somebody was building a ball field down at the end of Farnham Avenue. Well, we all wanted to play ball. We wouldn't let us play baseball on the school grounds and so forth. So um, one afternoon, eight or ten of us uh, walked down to what is now Kelly Youth League at that point, it was just, uh, just a, a wasteland of weeds and so forth. But there was, uh, uh, they were building a ball field over in the, uh, over by where the golf course is now. So we started walking over there. And uh, Francis Ostegard, 
came walking up. Uh, he was uh, kind of a reddish, red-haired guy, wore a quirky uh, green ball cap. And he came over and introduced himself to us and uh, began to tell us about Boys Christian League. Well, at that time, there was hardly any little league. There was nothing organized for us to be doing. So as he told us about Boys Christian League, uniforms and games every week and outings and uh, trips to the beach and so forth, well, to me, I'm not sure how the other guys were reacting, but it sounded like heaven. We got we to gotta join this thing. But then he said something that really um, surprised me and kind of took me back. Uh, <clears throat> as you know, Matt, and as our name implies, Boys Christian League, we're very definitely a Christian organization. And uh, teach our youngsters that the Christian way is the best way and so forth. And... <clears throat> At, um, at that time, the entryway into a bad life was the use of bad language. When I was in sixth grade, you started using swear words and talking about uh, dirty things and so forth. That was, that was kind of the entrance. It was very macho. And uh, naturally, that's headed the wrong direction. Well, Francis Ossigard said, uh, the one thing you've got to know about Boys Christian League is we don't allow any swearing here. Well, two thoughts went through my head. The first one was, this guy certainly doesn't know boys. Because <laughs> <laughs> if he knew boys, he would never make a statement like that. <laughs> but the second thought was, you know, if he can deliver on that promise and stop me from swearing, help me stop from swearing, um, I'm really interested because I knew my parents didn't approve and I knew that society in general didn't approve a guy my age using that bad language. So we joined up. Well, as you can <clears throat> know from your own association with Boys Christian League and Care Youth League, swearing was just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Uh, we had a, uh, we'll call it club meeting, a Bible study, Bible lesson, Bible story, uh, every week, and Mr. Ossigard drew lessons from that to teach us about uh, the right way to live. And um, so swearing was the tip of the iceberg, but I can still remember the club meeting I was in when he made, I don't know, told some story or something, but I said, okay, I'll never say another swear word as long as I live. And I, I've been able to keep that promise except once. <laughs> and that was, uh, I ended up going to Rosemead High School. And there was some swear word that was just everywhere. Everybody was saying it. And I went out for basketball and I got bumped or something like that. <clears throat> and I found myself using that swear word. And I said, oh, this is not a good thing. But anyway, uh, we started having, I can still remember the first club meeting I was in. There were no buildings at that time, and so we met in a old blue and white bus that somebody had used as a as a uh, traveling fruit and vegetable thing. And um, he started with the very beginning with Genesis, and he tried to explain to us the difference between men 
that is mankind and animals. We had a choice, so forth. And I can remember because I looked out the window and there was a big lizard sitting right there. And so I got the point, okay, there's an animal, I'm a boy, I have a choice, that animal lives on instinct or whatever. And uh, that's my, that's how I got started at Boys Christian League. We joined, we all joined and formed the club called Coral. In those days, the clubs were all named after bodies of water. <clears throat> and so we became the Coral Sharks. So of the, of those original members, first of all, how many guys were there for this original team of Voice Christian League and who were some of the names we might recognize? Well, <laughs> there were uh, nine or ten of us and uh, I don't think he'd recognize any of the names because when we finished eighth grade, they all dropped out, went off to Royal High School and I was left alone. The one guy that stuck around for a little while, his name is Fred Williams. Some of your listeners may remember Fred Williams. Uh, and he and I, we stay in touch and so forth. But the rest of us, uh, I've kind of lost track of them, and they probably lost track of me. So they were not my peer group after eighth grade. Well, uh, at, at, I mean, did you have any – I mean, you're a junior high kid. Uh, you know, we, we don't uh, have much thought for vision and future at that age. But – could you have, I mean, in your wildest dreams, or is there any way you could have envisioned what Boys Christian League would become down the road, Care Youth League and Real Hondo Prep? I mean, going down to that same property now, 5150, and seeing, I mean, really the miracle of what it has all become. And it started with that meeting down at the end of Farna Avenue back in uh, whatever year that was. No, there's no way to imagine because I think there was only three teams in the whole organization. There was Coral, and Atlantic, and Indian, and one age level. <clears throat> and so it was hard to imagine that it was going to be what it is today. But uh, uh, I feel a privilege of having been there ever since that time up until now <clears throat> and watching it grow and so forth. Very, very neat. So you said you went to, to Rosemead High School. You played basketball. Did you play other sports there? Uh, yes, I played baseball and basketball. <clears throat> and um, didn't do very well in one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I was just a freshman, and uh, I was at the same time going to Care Youth League or Boys Christian League. And uh, – so my heart wasn't in it out at Rosemead, and my heart was more in playing at Boys Christian League. So, gotcha. After Rosemead, a Royal opens, and then I went to a Royal. Oh, okay. Both both schools. Yeah. Okay, that that school across the wash. So, uh, yeah. Interesting, interesting. So, when you were in high school, Boys Christian League was still like a team, even for high schoolers. Um, well, the guys that I began to meet and uh, become friends with were the ones you've talked with, Pat Taylor, John Lee, and Gary Money, and um, uh, oh, who else? Uh, who else I got on this list here? Oh, Bill Oisburn. Mm. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Hampton knew to um, keep us going in the right direction 
we had to be playing ball. And it was true. We had to be playing ball. So he turned us into a team and uh, scheduled games with us around and uh, we played baseball together all the way through college. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Carson, I got to know, I, I asked Mr. Taylor this a little bit, but uh, what can you tell me about some of those guys and, and the type of athletes they were? Pat Taylor, Mr. Orsburn, Gary Lunny, John Lee. I, I heard them talk about it briefly, but what are your memories of them uh, on the ball field? Um, well, let us start by saying we were never that good. <laughs> Any of us, you know. But um, I think of those that you named, I think Pat Taylor was probably the better ball player. He played shortstop, and uh, he was good at shortstop. And I think he did pretty well hitting. Bill Orsman played uh, center field, and um, he got good at it. He'd catch a ball, and his, his, uh, his claim to fame was how fast he could get rid of it because our coach, Mr. Hampton, said, you got to get rid of that ball, got to get it in the home plate. And um, so he learned to really get rid of it quickly. Uh, John Lee and Gary Lenny, uh, they were uh, both pitchers. John Lee was a good pitcher. Gary Lenny was a good pitcher. And they were my competitors because I was a pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, I don't know. I shouldn't say we were that good. We beat some. We beat Bowie High School, and we beat. Uh, we ended up playing college, playing against uh, Azusa Pacific and so forth. Yeah. Sometimes we'd win, playing against Caltech. Always enjoyed playing Caltech because they were not very good. <laughs> <laughs> we beat them. But, uh, yeah, we were, we were probably better than average athletes, I would say. But nothing spectacular. And, and, and to me, the, the whole concept of Boys Christian League and now Care Youth League, I, I think – the vision that Mr. Hampton had was that, you know, boys needed a place to go be boys. And for most, most kids, most boys, they, they love, they love sports, getting out there and competing and, you know, getting dirty and this and that. So uh, is, is that kind of what, what you thought Mr. Hampton, I mean, it really is a genius idea to come up with a youth sports league that is there to, uh, you know, uh, spread the gospel and to really, make kids better people, not just giving them all these sports opportunities, but was, was the draw of having sports kind of what brought kids in and what kept people interested? Um, definitely, yes. And the interesting thing is when Mr. Hampton started the program, he wasn't playing sports. He was doing things more along the lines of um, Boy Scouts and so forth. But the guys that he had said, we want to play sports. And so he got the message, and from then on, it's always been uh, <clears throat> the organization's built around uh, team sports. And definitely, that's why I came <laughs> 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 to baseball, and they gave me a place to play, and uh, gave me a place to play throughout my high school and college. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely. And the concept, it doesn't seem so profound to me now joining the athletics with the character development but in a way it wasn't a stroke of genius because uh, 
I don't know who else does it like we do. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't think that anybody does. And it's not just sports. That's a great thing about it is they do offer, um, you know, fun activities like camps and sleepovers and all, all these great outings and things too. Uh, but the sports is the foundation. I mean, and, and it's a great, it's almost like built in for character building because in sports, there's winners, there's losers, there's practicing, better, improving, all those things to uh, to sports. And it's kind of like this symbolism for a spiritual journey as well. Well, exactly. Uh, I write um, proposals to foundations um, trying to get money. And one of the things I'm fond of saying is early on, we discovered that sports is the perfect vehicle for doing the kind of things you're talking about, helping boys spiritually and uh, so forth. So, yeah, you're exactly right. It, did did I hear this correctly? Was Care Youth League or Boys Christian League, excuse me, were they the first organization in California to play tackle football? Yeah. First ones to play tackle football and uh, – Interestingly, when we started football, Mr. Hampton went down to the Voight uh, company. Does Voight ring a bell with you? Do you know who Voight was or is? Maybe they're still in existence. But they manufactured sporting goods. And he went down there and asked them to make a football that was small enough for youngsters to handle. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That football sat up in the Indian club room in their trophy case there for years and years and years. But somebody who didn't know its significance apparently threw it away because it's gone now. But that was, yeah. Oh. yeah. We were the first to tackle football. And uh, <clears throat> then soon thereafter, we, we joined up with uh, Pop Warner. And uh, Mr. Hampton was absolutely the commissioner for Southern California Pop Warner for a while. And uh, we did well there. That is really cool. That is really, really cool. I'm a big football guy. And that was one of the main reasons I got involved in Curry Youth League because I saw a kid carrying a whole helmet and shoulder pads at, at school one day when I was in second grade. And I told my dad, I want to go play tackle football. And he was all about it. So uh, that is that is so, so awesome to hear. After high school, Mr. Carson, you said you stuck with the group and you still played some ball in college. But uh was there any doubt that you were going to uh, go anywhere else that you, you wanted, you were committed to helping uh, out this organization and continue to develop it? Uh, no doubt whatsoever. Um, in your notes, you said, uh, you talked about a calling to care youth league. Um, I cannot identify a specific calling like Pat Taylor does. But it was just a natural thing for me to do, to follow this group and to follow um, Mr. Hampton, Mr. Osterard, and what they were trying to do. It, it just seemed like the, the natural thing for me to do. And so I did it. Never any question. Wow. That is, uh, I, I think a lot of people, when they graduate high school, they're not sure what to do. I know I wasn't. Um, I was involved for a while there at Care Youth League, but... Um, for you and your experiences, there was just no doubt. Now, outside of coaching kids, what other interests did you have maybe as far as uh, a career path? Did you go to college? I mean, I know you went to college, but what, what did you study in college? Um, 
Well, my first year at PCC, I had a really good Comp 1A teacher. And um, she, one way or another, convinced me that I wanted to study English and be an English teacher. So that's the career path I took. I uh, graduated from UCLA uh, from the English department and uh, have tried to be a good English teacher at times at Rio Hondo. I think I'm terrible compared to the teachers that are there now. I, I listen to my own daughter who now teaches at uh, Rio Hondo, teaches English. Boy, what she's helping those students do is just a hundred miles beyond. <laughs> Yeah. what I was doing. I had one gift and that was to get excited about uh, reading. And uh, I get, get all the students to get a book, get any book you want, library, get whatever you want. And then you need to read some every day. And we start class by saying, okay, how many pages did you read and you read and you read? And I'd arrange them sitting in the class according to how many pages they read. And uh, very successful. It had that little competitive element. Uh, Chris Horton and John Martin were in those classes. And uh, I think Chris Horton would say it, it helped him become the English major that he became. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then, and then your, your daughter, Christina Horton, who uh, I had the privilege of being a student of hers in, in a multiple classes. And I don't know how she did it, but she helped me pass uh, British literature. Uh, you know, she does a uh, great work and been there a long time. So, uh, that's where she got her, her passion from maybe is, is, uh, the fact that her old man was an English teacher. Well, let me, that reminds me of something I wanted to say maybe at the end. Uh, one time Francis Ostergaard said to me, and maybe it wasn't only me, that, uh, if you, if God wants you to do something and you fall through and do it, which was for me being at Care Youth League, your children will do all the things that you may feel like you missed out on. So Christina became an English teacher. Uh, Dave became a pastor and a speaker. Todd, well, he's on his way back to Rio Hondo. <laughs> I'm so glad when he finally gets here next year. But, uh, uh, as a coach, and he's starting a small business. I always wanted to start a small business. In fact, I started one that worked out for a while. And then Mark, coaching youngsters, naturally he's the coach. And then I had this um, interest in politics. And lo and behold, my daughter ends up working in the White House. <laughs> so Mr. Osegaard's prediction really came true for me. And the other interesting thing is I was thinking about this is uh, anytime I'm in a hospital, it seems like I've been in several now, I say, you know, I think I would have liked to have studied medicine and been a doctor. Well, none of the children went that route, but I'm married to a nurse. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all connected. It's, it's all amazing. Connected. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely some divine intervention there for sure. That That is incredible. I didn't know that about yeah. you. Yeah, the, God gives you the desires of your heart, but I've never heard it put that way that he'll give it to your children. Maybe um, things you can't, can't necessarily do. That is awesome to hear. Um, well, you mentioned uh, Mrs. Carson. How did, how did you meet, uh, meet her? And um, when did you guys get married? Oh, that's her calling. That's Melissa calling. Let me tell you. 
All right, I'll pause. Okay, so yeah, Mr. Carson, where did you meet uh, the future Mrs. Carson? Well, um, there was a high school and college group for boys and girls, young men and young women called Fosterians. And that it was a Sunday evening, uh, I don't know what you call it, Sunday evening church type group. Well, when I graduated from eighth grade, Mr. Ostegard wanted, invited me to come and be part of that. So I said, okay, I'll come. And we met down there in what is now, used to be the weight room, used to be called the main club room. We went down there and uh, I saw this young lady. I mean, I was only in ninth grade and she was in probably 11th grade, but I thought she was the prettiest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> and that was Marion Carson. The funny thing is, as outgoing as she has always been and so forth, she took it upon herself to make sure I felt welcome at Fosterians. Well, I'd walk down there from home. I just lived a couple blocks away. And uh, she'd be kind of waiting there to, to meet me. And uh, kind of embarrassing for me. And especially if I was late and she said, or if I missed a meeting, where were you last week and so forth. So I kind of got a little bit afraid of her. And I would actually come late <laughs> to full stories so I wouldn't have to talk to her. <laughs> so that's where we first met. We ended up going to UCLA together. She as a nursing student, I as an English major. And uh, we drive over there together. So naturally, I got uh, much better acquainted to, with her. And uh, that's, that's how we got together. Very uh, cool. You, you weren't uh, afraid of her anymore, huh, when you were driving to UCLA? No, no. <laughs> but I still thought she was extra pretty. <laughs> there you go. There yeah. You go. That, is, uh, that is awesome. Um, so well, there's a story about that you might be interested in hearing. Yeah, absolutely. Go right ahead. We, we lived in the same apartment building, different parts of the apartment. I lived with Gary Lenny and Pat Taylor and so forth, and she lived with her friends. And... Um, she had a, a cat that she just loved. And I knew she loved it because we'd go over and visit once in a while and she just loved that cat. But one day I was walking down the field and found that cat dead in the gutter. What was I going to do? Well, I couldn't just go home and tell her that seemed heartless. So I took the cat and buried it somewhere, but then Within the next couple of days, I went and got her a new baby kitten and uh, put it in a box and wrote a note from her cat. I don't remember the name of her cat uh, saying I had to take a long trip, but here's somebody to take my place. I hope you enjoy having him. And uh, I don't know if there was any romantic um, feeling developing at that time. Maybe so on her part, not so much on mine. But she called that little kitten Deary. And uh, maybe I should have known. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Deary. Great story. Hey, that's a smooth move, Mr. Carson, doing the right thing there and yeah. placing the kitten. Okay. I see. You never know where the spark might come from. That is awesome. Um, so how so what year were you guys married? Not to put you on the spot here. I know husbands. Yeah. 
Well, two or three years ago, we had our 50th anniversary. Wow. So you can figure it out from there. There you go. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to get you in trouble. Um, well, well, that is very, very cool. I know she, I, I say this about a few people, but she really is one of the nicest women on the planet. Nicest people. Every time you see her, she's smiling. If you were injured, you go into the nurse's office. Mrs. Carson was always there for you. Yeah. Grape knee or, you know, you're sick or whatever. So, um, yeah, I know you know this. What a what a wonderful person. I love hearing Todd and Mark and uh, all this all the siblings talk about the parents, but it, but especially Mrs. Carson because she is she is so wonderful. And every time I go over on Saturdays to hang out with Mark, watch football or whatever, you guys are always so kind. And Mrs. Carson always want how's everything going and just everything yeah. here with her. And I'm sure she's always had that. Oh yes, still the same. Still the same. <laughs> so, so Miss Carson, I have an, I have a question. I know that a few of your peers, uh, I heard from Pat Taylor. I'm not sure about um, John Lee, but anyway, I know that a lot of Care Youth League leaders, especially the the original members, uh, a lot of them did serve in the military and usually uh, drafted or whatever. Uh, what was the time frame for you there? Did did, did any uh, military service pop up for you? I, I actually don't know. Well, uh, we were all called down to uh, UCLA to pass the physical exam to be drafted. In, Vietnam was in full force. Um, and if you passed the physical, you were going. But when I was a very, very little child, maybe two years old, I stuck a scissors in my eye. And that eye has never been quite right. So they looked at me and said, this guy won't be a very good rifleman or whatever. <laughs> and they turned me down. So I, I didn't end up going into the military. Oh, wow. And you said, I'm sorry, you said it was an injury to your eye? Yeah. Yeah. And if... Uh, Next time we see each other, if you want to look at it, it's uh, you can tell something's wrong with that eye. Oh, okay. And it's and as a matter of fact, today I'm going to see an eye doctor because I, I got to get a cataract removed out of there. I can barely see out of it now. But uh, yeah, and that um, that reminds me of you want to hear the dumbest thing I ever did. Well, go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> It's connected with my eye. Oh, no. Uh, we used to, uh, my friend Johnny and I uh, used to uh, have BB guns and we'd go around the neighborhood shooting things and so forth. And uh, we got in the backyard and there was a swing set there. And um, we wondered if we shoot a BB in this end of the, the pipe that holds up the swing set, will it come out the other end and hit the garage? Well, so we try and we bang and shoot the BB. No sound to hit the garage. And we try again, no sound to hit the garage. And I, I wonder, well, what could be stopping it in there? Because we couldn't hear anything. So I said, okay, John, I'll look in the, in the pipe and you shoot and I'll see if I can see that BB. <laughs> well, that BB went straight into my forehead. Uh, oh. Just above my eye. Had it hit me in the eye, I'd be showing an eye right now, I'm sure. But that I, I look back on that and I say, how could I have been that dumb? <laughs> That's the thinking. I could see that BB coming in. So anyway. 
Well, we've all done a, a crazy thing or two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> boys will be boys, I guess. Uh, Mr. Carson, you, you had some peers. You weren't able to uh, be drafted, but you had some some friends who I, I'm sure you know went over there to uh, to Vietnam. And uh, what was that like for you? I don't know. Waiting for you know, news didn't travel as fast as it does these days. Was it stressful knowing that your friends? We're potentially in harm's way, and and you're just kind of waiting around, hoping that they get home. Uh, yes, it was, and um, the particular guy that fits that description was Gary Lundy. Gary Lundy was a musician, and I was the English major, so we used to write plays, musical plays, that they put on the trips and so forth. And um, when he went to Vietnam we still wanted to get a play done. And uh, he would write music over there in Vietnam, almost virtually in a foxhole. It was just amazing to me. Wow. And I'd be working on the play at home. And he said that I wrote him a letter every day that he was there. I don't know if I did that, but I know I wrote him frequently because he was a real buddy. And uh, I was always worried that he might not make it home because he was not, I mean, he was right in the, in the thick of it. I mean, he was a um, platoon sergeant and he had to lead guys, lead guys out on patrol. And uh, he's told me stories that sound very scary. Well, they were scary, yeah. <laughs> not uh, that time. Uh, and so uh, the others, not so much. I, the um, Warsburg ended up at a, office in Washington, D.C. while he was in the Army. <laughs> and so we would go see him on the trip. It just seemed like he was having a, a pretty good life. And Pat Taylor, let's see, what did he do? I don't remember. Hmm. I'm sure I shouldn't have forgotten that. But anyway, Gary Lee and I were the ones in uh, we always said to rewrite the big one. Right, <laughs> just one Broadway play, we'd be set for life. That's it. <laughs> close. But one quick story: when uh, <clears throat> for a while he was uh, in charge of the concession stand. Uh, you probably got French fries and so forth out of that concession stand. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, then when he went into the army, <clears throat> they put me in charge of the concession stand. Well, he came on leave one time, and uh, at about 10 o'clock one night, <clears throat> I was just starting cleanup, cleaning up the concession stand, and it was at least an hour, an hour and a half job, and it was late at night and so forth. And so he walked by and he said, well, I'll see you tomorrow. And about three minutes later, he came back and he says, I can't leave this to you by yourself. I'll help you. And he helped me do cleanup. That's the kind of guy he was. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Gary Lunny. Absolutely. Yeah. Just an incredible person. And yeah, I, I read his book about his service. Oh, yeah. Vietnam. yeah. I mean, uh, the things he, he probably experienced was just unfathomable to, to us. And um, I know he was a very special person. He was a great football coach, a great teacher. And you were someone, Mr. Carson, that I remember you took the time to really be there for him in, uh, in his last few years. That always stuck out to me as I remember asking Todd, like, 
oh, your your dad is spending time with Gary Lenny. He says, yeah, they're lifelong friends. And um, Mr. Lenny, I think, was in a wheelchair. And that always spoke to me about what true friendship really was to see your interaction with Gary. So what what can you tell me about those uh those late years of his life he, since he uh, he passed away a few years ago, but just your relationship with him later in life. Well, um, it was a great relationship. I always had to be the initiator because he was wheelchair bound or whatever, but I would go out to see him and uh, push him around the park there by his house and uh, we'd talk. He... Um, Love poetry, <laughs> and uh, so he would memorize poetry, and he and I would try to remember it and say it, you know, uh, whose words these are, I think I know, his house is in the village, though, and uh, so we do a lot of that, just a lot of talking. As things progressed, he got so that sometimes he was not making sense, and uh, uh, sometimes I just go over and sit there and and watch television with him because there was nothing else that could be done. But uh, he always regarded me as a great friend, I'm sure, and I, I did him too, yeah. Well, anybody that would vo volunteer to help you do that concession cleanup, uh, you know, <laughs> is, is a good guy. So, no, he's, he's definitely missed. I, I've heard so many great stories about him. Um, in his, his discipline and how he was with, with students. And, and, I mean, it's just, you can't think of Gary Lunny and not smile, in my opinion. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Todd Carson wrote a tribute about him, and it was just beautiful. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said a lot of very uh, insightful, good things about Gary Lunny. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. A special man. And uh, a lot of people on the podcast have talked about him and uh, I want to continue to do that. Uh, Mr. Carson, tell me about um, your, uh, your business career. I, I, I believe you were involved in, in sales of some kind. Uh, I learned this uh, quite clearly when I sold candy with you at the Rose Parade when I was a junior high kid. And <laughs> You're you, you. Let me tell you, you are a salesman. I I couldn't believe the energy, the optimism. Uh, you just you're selling candy bars at the Rose Parade, but you you look like you've been doing it for uh, forty years. So, uh, were you always a salesman? No, in fact, um, for a while I wrote uh, technical manuals for a company called Matic Data Systems. And they wrote software for printing companies. And they kind of went out of business and suggested I move on. And uh, I went to work at a printing company. And I was just running their software because I knew it. And the owner says, you know, Dave, you'll never make enough money running our software. You better, you better try sales. I said, well, okay, I'll give it a shot. I was such a rookie, I could not believe, I knew nothing about printing. <laughs> the first guy I talked to, he said, well, I'm trying to do this magazine and I think it has to have an even number of pages, is that right? Well, yes, that's right, but I didn't know. I said, well, I'll find out for you. <laughs> <laughs> he must have thought this guy is out to lunch. 
But I found that <clears throat> I caught on about printing as time went on. If I just made enough phone calls, I'd eventually make a sale. And I found out that if I could make 75 phone calls, somewhere in that 75, uh, somebody would invite me over and I'd make a sale. So uh, that was pretty much my sales career. I, I, uh, when I went back to Care Youth League, I left Matic Data Systems, but uh, uh, Mr. Hampton got the idea, and it was a great idea, of a fundraiser of selling Nestle candy bars at the Rose Parade. And so all of us went out there and did it. Covered the whole parade route and so forth. Had a quota to sell. <laughs> and lots of pressure on you got to sell these things. <clears throat> Ken Drain was our group leader. And we would stay there after the parade was over and try to sell people going on the buses because we had to make our quota. Well, <clears throat> by that time of day, my voice was gone and so forth. And I always have thought it was very special. We were walking back, back to the car, and Ken says, uh, come on, in, I'll buy you a Coke. And that Coke was the most wonderful Coke I've ever had. And the fact that he would do that uh, really said a lot to me about Ken Drain. <clears throat> but then... Uh, everybody hated it. They nobody wanted to sell candy at the Rose Parade. <laughs> I'm still scarred for life. I'm still scarred for life. <laughs> I can't even turn the parade on anymore. I'm like, no, too many cold mornings selling to strangers. And, but but I did make some money. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, well, that's good. Uh, John Martin, smart man that he is, he was on the Pasadena City College School Board. So he knew somebody who ran the big grandstands. And so he talked to that lady, her name was Sydney uh, Ribley. And he said, could I sell you a grandstand? And she said, well, okay, what's it for? It's for Canada Youth League, so that's a good cause. Well, did you ever sell in the grandstands yourself or did you always stay in the street? Oh, uh, well, both. I, I was in the grandstands, a few of us yeah. you took up there with us. Todd said, go with my dad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, well, selling on the grandstand is so much easier than selling on the streets. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I don't remember why, but because so many people didn't want to do it, I think it just died and we stopped doing it as a fundraiser. Well, I said to myself, whether I'm selling for Care Youth League or selling for myself, that's a way to make some money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and... Um, I said, anytime I can make $300 before breakfast, I'm in for it. Yeah. <laughs> so I went up there and I would make $300 before going in for breakfast. And I hated the idea of getting in my car and going out there. But once I got in the grandstands, it was like a different me took over. Yeah. Yeah. I started... And, you and other people have said, you become a different person up there. What's the problem? What's the deal? Well, I don't know. I just did. And uh, for a while, I was, uh, well, I say the top salesman because I was the only salesman. But uh, sometimes people would want to help. Well, Todd would want to help and uh, so forth. 
Well, I was served a lot more than Todd or anybody until Melissa came along. Well, yeah, come on. That's, I mean, that goes without saying. Uh, the lady, I, 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 same thing with circus tickets. People are more willing to buy uh, uh, yeah. from the young ladies. Let's just, you know. Let's yeah. just. <laughs> she outsold me, and I said, that's not fair. I worked so hard at this. And anyway, I kept it up until uh, I went in to talk to Cindy Ribbling one time because I had to get a, a special pass to get in her grandstands. And um, it slipped out, or I said it. I don't know what that. Uh, I think she said, "What is this money going for?" And I said, "Well, it's helping me put my daughter through college." Mm. And she says, "Oh no, it's not. <laughs> you can sell for care easily, but you're not going to sell for yourself." I said, "Okay, okay, I'll sell for care easily," and I continued and turned it in and so forth. But eventually, uh, oh, what finally stopped it was. Um, the Rose, the Rose Parade people wouldn't let anybody in the grandstands. What was it that was going on? They were afraid of, of terrorists blowing up the grandstands and so forth. So, oh, could have been, yeah. After 9 11, I think a lot of things changed. Yeah, maybe that was 9 11, but anyway, they told me I couldn't sell anymore and they had the authority, so I stopped selling. Like you, when I turn the television in to watch the Rose Parade, I'm looking around to see if I can see anybody selling stuff. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember I was a junior high kid and Todd took us. We we're going to sell candy with my dad and we go up in the stands and it's like, yeah, people, you know, $2 a bar or whatever. And it was, we'd be up in the stands and yeah, you were a completely different person. I'll never forget. You were, it was Wisconsin and UCLA. Uh -huh. game. It was the first one, first Rose Parade I went to with you and, and you were coming up with all kinds of things. You were telling all – first of all, you're like, I hate when there's a local team, USC or UCLA, because we want out-of-state people to come to the Rose Parade. Right. And they'll spend more money. I'm thinking, wow, okay. And you told the Wisconsin fans, you're like, can you guys believe the UCLA uh, fans came and squirted all these – these bleachers down with water before the game. They're trying to get an advantage on you guys. I mean, you were, even though you're a UCLA grad, you were you were siding with the Wisconsin fans just to, to sell some uh, candy. I thought it was hilarious. And I don't remember that one exactly, but uh, I was just desperate to do whatever. <laughs> well, you know, it's a rule. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a rule. When you come to Pennsylvania, you have to buy candy at, at 8 in the morning. It's a rule for the Rose Parade. Yeah. I was like, I could never do that stuff. I am definitely not that outgoing. So uh, you were a different person, sir, in, on those New Year's Day mornings. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, um, and I could just, as I was getting out of the car, which I hated driving down there at that time of the morning, and it's dark and it's cold, as I w was walking toward the grandstand, as I got closer, I began to get pumped up. <laughs> And I'd say to people going by, you want to buy a candy bar? It was crazy. Wow. It's like, a, like a football player coming out of the tunnel, just ready to go. That, yeah. is, uh, that is awesome. Uh, yeah. so, so, Mr. Carson, you eventually, um, I don't know how long ago it was, but you eventually uh, left uh, one of the jobs or, or the career that you had, and you became 
uh, really involved, I think, on the Carrie Eastlake staff. What exactly was your position? Because I remember you doing a lot of like tours around the campus and such. What was yeah. uh, your official job title with Carrie Youth League uh, not too long ago? Well, um, the thing that I was supposed to be doing, yeah, uh, off. Was raising money, and um, yeah, we took people on tours because we hooked up with this outfit that says if you take people on a tour and sell your program, you can call them um, a week later and ask them to give, and they're more likely to give. So we tried those tours, quite unsuccessful. But um, uh, yeah, my job was raising money, and uh, I think if 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 I had to make a list of what I wanted to do in life and what I would not want to do in life, selling is at the bottom of the list. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. <laughs> but, fooled me. Yeah, but uh, John Martin came and he said, uh, we've got this position. There's actually uh, Mrs. Orsbury was moving into uh, the principal and she was the director of development or something like that. And says, if you, if you want to do it, you can do it. Well, I would have done anything to get back working at Care Youth League, anything. Yeah. So I said, sure, I'll do it. And uh, had some success, I guess, and uh, I've been doing it ever since. I only work from home part-time now, but uh, let's see, we got uh, four grants. Um, since we started this year now uh to get four out of four is amazing <laughs> oh yeah but, um, there are people i dealt with before and so i kind of knew how to approach them and that worked out but uh yeah now uh david dream is trying to learn the fundraising business and uh He's finding out it's not as easy as it looks. <laughs> no, fundraising is tough uh, no matter what the cause is. I mean, asking people basically for their hard-earned money to support something, um, it's difficult. I mean, you know, everyone, it seems like uh, everyone has a good reason, a good cause, and, and God bless the people that do donate and, and things of that nature because Care Youth League has had tremendous success uh, with a lot of the donors, I mean, Diver Center, the, the new area, the new field um, in Irwindale. I mean, all of those couldn't be done without uh, outside help or maybe from the inside, whatever it is. So I think Curious League is extremely blessed to have so many people that have contributed over the years. Oh, yes, for sure. And when I mentioned uh, Mr. Stivers, that, that was what's called a transformational gift. He gave us enough money to actually transform the way we could go about things. Never could have built it. Well, you never say never. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was with his help to build the gymnasium, Stiver Center, and a lot of his money went to uh, build Care Park. And uh, a lot of his money helped pay the payroll. So it was a transformational gift. Yes, and it, uh, it quite a blessing came out of nowhere, uh, from what I understand, and uh, it's just very awesome to see all of the developments at yeah. Rio at Care Care Irwindale, 
I, I mean, uh, it, it, a lot has changed in a, in a positive way. Things are looking great. Um, for you, when you left, I, I know we talked a little bit about desires of your heart and everything. I know it's something incredibly desirable for you was to work for Care Youth League, work at Care Youth League. Yes. Now, have these other jobs, and we all got to do what we got to do to pay the bills. But did you kind of look at it as, okay, God finally gave me or paved a path, a pathway for me to live out my dream of, of working for Care Youth League? Absolutely. That was exactly when John Martin uh, asked me if I was interested. That's the thought that went through my mind. Of course I'm interested. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it's been all fundraising since then. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Well, uh, a few things. Um, you know, the, the Carson house in Covina, it's quite legendary. I always appreciate the Carsons being out in the east because I, I grew up not too far from there in, in Glendora and actually don't live far from there now. But uh, it, it was nice knowing that other people commuted from Covina. Uh, what exactly brought you guys to that house by Wingate Park? Because uh, I know it's, at one point you guys were living in Arcadia. So what brought you guys eastward? Well, the house was on the market. Probably uh, Philip Ostegard, who was in the real estate, told us about it. And we said, well, it's big enough for us. <laughs> and it's close to uh, Wingate Park. Let's go for it. And so uh, I don't remember how we came up with the down payment and so forth, but one way or another we did. And uh, uh, we've been here ever since. Yeah, it's a great house, a great place. So many memories, again, watching football with Mark eating pizza in between games. We were refereeing at Wingate Park, um, staying, sleeping, uh, sleepovers down in those club rooms you guys built down in the basement. Yeah, yeah. All kinds of old gear down there. I mean, oh, it, it's an awesome place. Uh, so many memories. Um, Mr. Carson, I want to talk to you now about your your five kids and give you each an or give you an opportunity to talk about each one of them. We We've already kind of... Uh, talked about them a little bit in the sense, you know, Dave Carson uh, Jr. is a pastor. Uh, Mark and Todd, phenomenal coaches, two of the best coaches I think uh, Rio's ever had, Kerry Fleek's ever had. Um, uh, your youngest daughter, Melissa, worked in the White House, I mean, in, in politics. And, and then Mrs. Horton is just a phenomenal teacher. I mean, you have to be proud of each one of them. Um, but what can you tell me about each one of them individually, and I'll let you talk, talk about whoever you want in, in whatever order. Well, uh, this isn't probably exactly what you're anticipating hearing. Um, like we've talked about Christina, Christina Horton now. Um, she'll come over and we'll talk for five or 10 or half an hour. And I am just so amazed at how many things she has read and what she knows and so forth. I'm even more impressed by the way she has learned to teach composition because teaching people to write is the most difficult thing I think that ever happened. But yeah. she seems to have success at that, and I've learned a little bit about her system. Um, just a couple anecdotes about her. Let's see, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. One year for Christmas, I got each of them for their stocking a library card. 
And I was shocked to see how it, how excited they were to get a library card. So they each got a library card and we started making a weekly trip up to Arcadia Library. And we'd go around and pick out the books they wanted to read and take them home. And I, I told them, you know, if you read, I don't know, 10 minutes a day or read 30 pages or whatever, uh, we'll stop at the donut shop and you get a donut. But if you don't do your reading, other people will get the donuts and you won't. Well, one time Christina hadn't done her reading and she fessed up and said, I didn't do mine. And I said, okay, well, we'll do it for you. She says that she was surprised because she thought, sure, her brothers were cheating. <laughs> they were telling me that they, got, that they had done the reading and they hadn't. But she says uh, it was an important lesson anyway to uh, realize you're not a victim of circumstances. She hadn't done the reading. She paid the price, and it made an impression. So uh, that's my story about Christina. Great story. Um, Dave, a story that I've told often about Dave, he went on a summer trip with, with me when he was, I don't know, fourth grade? Just a, a little tiny youngster. Mr. Hampton thought it would be good for him to go on the trip with us. And so uh, we were at, um, uh, come on, what's the big cemetery in Washington, D.C.? Arlington. What was it? Arlington. Arlington, yeah, we were at Arlington Cemetery. And he was riding on my shoulders. And so uh, as I was, as we were walking up to the tomb and so forth, uh, I said, see, all those white crosses out there, those, each one represents a, a man who died in battle. His comment was, boy, they sure died in straight lines. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those, those crosses are perfectly aligned. And I thought, well, there's, there's his maturity level. <laughs> they died in straight lines. Wow, that is the point. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dave is a special kind of a guy, much different than the rest of the Carsons, because he he thinks before he talks. You have a conversation with him, and you ask him a question, he doesn't answer until he has thought through the right answer from his perspective. Sometimes it's a little annoying to me, come on, but... Um, no, he's that kind of guy, and he thinks uh, uh, very deeply and uh, does a good job as a pastor out there. He uh, He's taken under his wing some of the people out there who are not connected with Kerry at all, but uh, he has become truly their pastor, and so very good. And then Todd, well, you know Todd as well as I do. Uh, maybe not as well as I do, but you know Todd, Todd very well. Um, he's starting a business. Has he told you about that? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, boy, I hope that pays off because then he'll come down here to coach basketball next year. I can hardly wait. Got to admit, he's got a dream situation up there in Reed, California. Mm -hmm. He and his son get up early mornings and they go fishing. Now, how would you ever do that around here? Yeah. No way. Uh, they catch fish and they bring it home and 
they eat them. <laughs> that, that, that's the way a boy should grow up. Mm. And he has lots of time with his children. Um, <clears throat> one of my favorite memories of Todd is the year you and he went to the college world series. He came back and he says, you know, Todd and I never stopped laughing from the time we got there till we got back. It was just a blast for the whole time. And I said, that was a perfect outing for Todd to go with his friend Matt to the College World Series. Too bad you couldn't have stayed a couple extra days and seen the championship. But Yeah, uh, yeah. that was yeah. an amazing days with Todd. And it all started, uh, that was a, a gift to me from him. And, and we, we, we helped split the cost on some other things. But his idea, he made it happen. Uh, just so grateful for him for that memory. And it, you know, we landed, we drove three hours in the wrong direction uh, around. I mean, it was all kinds of stuff like that. So uh, yeah, Todd, Todd's a special man in my life. And that, those are 10 of the best days too, that just hanging out and laughing with him. Yeah. Uh, I know you've got a good sense of humor. Todd used to have a good sense of humor, but the two of you together, I guess just had a lot to laugh about. <laughs> so uh, we, we get each other. We have a very similar mindset. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, and then there's Mark. Um, I always said pound for pound, Mark was the toughest football player that Rio Hunter ever had. He was so small, but he was so gutsy. He'd get in front of those big guys, try to tackle them, get knocked off and so forth. So pound for pound, I, I always thought he was the toughest. Not sure I don't know uh, others. But um, the way he treats his players <clears throat> and his, uh, his philosophy of coaching just impressed me so much. He used to coach the Cardinals out here in uh, at Wingate Park. I don't know what age, age, fifth grade or something like that. Tigers, the thing, wasn't, it, wasn't it the Tigers? What? Wasn't it the Tigers or? Tigers. Yeah, it was Tigers. That's right. Dave coached the Cardinals. Dave, Dave so I, Cardinals. Okay. Yeah. I wanna, yeah. I want to get Mark in trouble now. His Tiger listeners out there. No, he was a, he was a Tiger anyway. He was the Tigers. But the things that he would tell us that he did to – prep those guys for the game. I mean, he'd, he'd bring home their uniforms and have mom saw a flag on them or something like that. <laughs> when they showed up to the game, it was always something new and fresh. And he'd say, uh, be there a half hour before because when the other team comes dragging in, we want to already be doing our, our calisthenics and so forth. Yeah. I think it really uh, uh, was a big part of his winning. But yeah, we're so proud of Mark and what he's doing. Very good. And then Melissa, she's our politician, but having worked in the White House and then in the State Department, she says, I want nothing to do with politics. I am not interested. I, although just about a, a three or four weeks ago, I asked her, do you miss your days in the White House? And she says, yeah, you know, Dad, I do a little bit. But she uh, went to UCLA, studied political science, heard about a program that, uh, where she could be an intern uh, in the White House. So she went and did that, 
came back and decided she wanted to work there. So she somehow got a job with a, con a congressman and uh, from this area. And so she was uh, working there for this congressman. We went back to visit her and she said, you know, dad, I hate this job. I hate this job. I got to get out of this job. And uh, shortly thereafter, she called me and she was almost in tears. She called me on the phone. She says, dad, I got to get out of that office. It's just a poisonous place. And I said, I had no, but I don't have another job. I don't know where I'm going to go. So I said, well, you know, Melissa, we need a miracle. And that's where I left it. Because that's what we needed. And about two weeks later, she got a call from a really quality speechwriter in the White House who wanted her to come and interview for a job. And, and she went and uh, she, she says, uh, they asked me uh, how, how come I wanted to work in the White House or something. And she says, I use the word calling. I believe it's my calling. And that really impressed this man. His name is uh, Bill McGurn. He's a great Christian man. And he ended, she ended up working for him. Had a lot of uh, really interesting things happen to him in the White House. Has Todd ever told you about the time when he went there and got, got surrounded by the Secret Service? Yeah, we were. It was a summer trip, actually. And maybe Todd got stopped by the Secret Service multiple times. But the one I remember was... It was me and Todd and I think four boys on a summer trip. And Melissa's given us a tour of the White House. Uh, mm -hmm. The president wasn't there or anything, but I got to stand in the door of the Oval Office and look in and be like, wow, this is it. Mm -hmm. Walked us all over the place through a rose garden or something. And that, we took a wrong turn. And out of nowhere, these, uh, these, these special forces guys, Secret Service, stopped in and said, hey, you guys, I mean, I, didn't, I have no idea where they came from. Uh, they just out of nowhere and they're like, you guys are in the wrong area. You can't be here. And she was like, Oh, I'm sorry. And I remember thinking to Todd, like, wow, where did these guys come from? I didn't see yeah. that. <laughs> I've always wondered that too, because I've heard Melissa say, and other people say they're all over the place, <laughs> but you never see them unless they want to want you to see them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this one time kind of like that, but Todd went back to visit his sister. And um, talked to her on the phone. She says, I'll get off around 5 or 5.30, and I'll meet you outside the White House by such and such gate. So he's standing out there waiting. Well, she didn't get off on time. Uh-oh. So he's standing there waiting and waiting. And pretty soon he looks around, and there's these four Secret Service guys. Hey, what are you doing here? You can't stand out here. <laughs> he said, well, my sister works up there. I'm waiting for my sister. He said, well, could you show us your driver's license? And he had left his driver's license at the apartment. Todd, and some, Todd always does this. Always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Always. <laughs> so... Uh, he felt like he was in, in trouble, but um, I guess one of the guys says, okay, well, we'll go ask the guard to call your, your sister and see if she's going to come down. And It all worked out, but uh, kind of a scary thing for Todd, I think. <laughs> Hauling off to the Moscow. Yeah.
Oh, Todd. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Forgetful. I love him, but I tease him all the time for that. Uh, yeah. I mean, just an incredible, I mean, for your five kids and what they've all accomplished and what they've done. I mean, I don't know who else has that kind of resume of, uh, of their children. So, um, they're, they're continuing to do great things. Cool to hear about Mark and the toughness. I mean, what a better, what better guy to lead RHP football than Mark. Yeah. yeah. And I remember when Melissa was in the white house and, uh, I was like, wow, wow. Someone we know works here. It was very cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mr. Carson, is there any truth to this? I heard from Todd and Mark that, uh, I let's say when they were in high school and say you're, they were going to play poly that you would wake them up on Friday morning and say, time to get up guys. There's about 20, uh, 20 guys at Pasadena poly, uh, scared to death right now that they have to play real Hondo tonight. Yeah, that was always when I wake up. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah that. that was fun. Uh, that is that is very very cool. Well, uh, well, Mr. Carson, um, I, I really appreciate you doing this. This has been uh, a lot of fun going down memory lane, talking about uh, a lot of things, your kids and uh, the great things you've done. I mean, is there anything else you'd like to say as we kind of wrap it up here? Well, I would only like to say that uh, if you had to figure out why the children turned out as well as they did, number one, it's their mother. <coughs> Excuse me. You know her. <coughs> wow. Get all choked up. You know her. You know what she's like. She has been just a wonderful mother. And then Carrie Usling. Carrie Usling, uh makes a big, big difference in the life and made a difference in your life, I'm sure, and so forth. So just give a shout out to Carrie Usley and to my wife. Mm. here. Very well said, sir. Well, um, I wish you uh, many good memories ahead uh, with grandkids and such. I'm sure they keep you plenty busy as well. So uh, my best to Mrs. Carson. And uh, again, looking forward to putting this episode out it has been my privilege and my honor mr carson to chat with you well it's been a great honor to me too and i appreciate the opportunity uh, when i would hear those other uh, podcasts i'd say well i hope you never ask me because i don't think i'd like to do that <laughs> oh no no it's been wonderful todd said you should do it <laughs> yes i'm glad i'm glad you pushed you. <laughs> Well, thank okay. you so much. We will talk to you uh, soon. We'll see you down the road. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, I said it beforehand, but uh, what an honor to chat with Mr. Dave Carson Sr. I've talked with him a time or two over the years, just in passing by usually, or talking about uh, his kids, who I have great admiration for, every one of them. Um, uh, Melissa was a few years older than me uh, in high school. I was a junior high kid. Mrs. Horton was a, a great teacher for me. Uh, Mark and I refereed a lot of games and had these great visions for uh, what real Hondo prep football could be. Todd and I have chatted a lot about sports over the years and become extremely great friends. And Dave Carson Jr. Can't thank him enough for being there for my family when my, my mom passed away and, and him stepping forward to uh, do the eulogy and speak to uh, speak at the funeral and such. So uh, just what can you say? And then Mrs. Carson, you can't say enough about these people, just uh, amazing, amazing people that um, I hope you guys really enjoyed that. I know the audio was a little tough at times, but uh, hopefully you were able to get, uh, get the points that were said there and, and to uh, 
think think of some of those those great memories and and messages and things. That was just a, an honor, and I hope the family enjoys that as much as I did. Uh, much love for the Carson family. So, thank you so much for joining us today, guys. I think it's a great way to take us into the weekend uh, to get recharged and uh, relaxed a little bit, and look forward to next week. Here we are in September, and we're rolling right along. Uh, more shows next week, of course, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. After that week off, I'm pretty recharged and just putting together more episodes here weekly to record with some people that we can stockpile uh, for our Friday episodes. And of course, Mondays, uh, Mr. Carson's uh, uh, son, Mark Carson, will be here to join us during the high school football season to chat about Real Hondo Prep football. And we're going to continue to do that. So uh, a lot of great things ahead for the Get Home Safe podcast. Appreciate all the support. Uh, all the people from Real Hondo Prep, Care Youth League, uh, nothing but love for you guys. And to the people who aren't affiliated, who are maybe learning a few things about some of the, the leadership from Care Youth League and such, it's an honor to do so. And I hope uh, everyone enjoys these podcasts in moving forward. So that's enough for me. I'm going to take a breather for a few days. I'll be back with you on Monday to talk Real Hondo Prep football and hopefully talk about another victory uh, for the Cares and uh, led by Mark Carson. There'll be plenty to chat about. We'll break down some more plays on film here if you want to watch on YouTube or watch our podcast on YouTube and such. But uh, I need I need a breather. I need a break. Uh, been a busy week of, of podcasting and other things. Mr. Carson, senior, thank you so much from bottom of my heart. Really, really mean that. Uh, and to everyone else out there, thanks for stopping by and listening today. Guys, have a great weekend. But as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. <laughs>